Welcome to IndieWire's is very good television podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlin on the Twitters, and I'm Ben Travers at Ben T Travers on the Twitters. And guys, we said we have special guests before. We always have special guests. Any guest who comes on this show is special. But this week, it's a very, very, very special guest. Um, we are joined not only by none other than Sam Esmail, the creator of Mr. Robot. Hi, guys. The number of people who have won Emmys in this room has increased by one. <laughs> yes. I, I am actually really excited. I, I, as I told you, I'm a big fan of the podcast. So. Which is lovely to have audio evidence of that right. we can then, you know, confirm to any, any it, of her it parents. It is confirmed. It's so. shocking to hear, and, and I guess we can't prove that there's not a gun to your head right now, but, I mean, <laughs> we'll take it. Well, there's a glass wall to this office, so if anyone so if anyone walked by, they'd be able to testify accordingly. <laughs> true, very true. Um, but it's such a pleasure to have you. And the best part of ha- having you on the show today is uh, we're not. It, congratulations on season four, Mr. Robot. It's a tre- a getting getting renewed. Getting renewed. Season three is a tremendous achievement. It seems like the show is really finding its stride, and it's, so it's a, you know a great day. Uh, we're actually recording this on the morning that season three, the season three finale airs, which is very exciting. Uh, and now we're going to talk about other TV shows. <laughs> right. Let's do it. Who yes. cares about yeah. Mr. Robot? Let's, yeah, what's let's that show? It. I mean, come on. <laughs> but this is, uh, literally, this is, we, we kind of had this conversation at a party recently, uh, the three of us, about what was the best TV show of the year. And we decided we should get together and figure it out. Well, yeah. I mean, look, and this is going to get, you know, this is this. Uh, there's going to be some, uh, you know, uh, contention here. And I already, I already, I already know this because I'm looking at, you know, Ben's wall and. There's... Oh, I, I hung these specifically for today. <laughs> They're meant to intimidate you and to try <laughs> to change your mind. Look, anybody who's a fan of the podcast already knows that Ben is wrong about the best show. <laughs> <laughs> and. and uh, coming out swinging. Because it, I mean, like you know, I gotta roll up my sleeves here. Here's the thing. Twin Peaks: The Return is a masterpiece. It's going to go down as one of the best seasons of television, period, in history. And I love the leftovers. I actually love the left leftover season. Actually, Ben, were you a fan of the first season of leftovers? I was actually. Yeah. Not a lot of people were, no, no, and no. I really hated that. I really, yeah. I really thought. I mean, the first season was great. In fact, in a, in a lot of ways, it still holds a special place in my heart because as much as I love season two and and that season two being probably my favorite season even more than season three and I do love season three season one was the first time we were introduced to this world and the characters and um and I I'm 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 a little I'm a little angry that everyone kind of missed the boat and yeah it always hurts a little bit when they phrase it that way like when they talk about season two and they're like yeah season two was great it's like well no so was season one season one I I hate that I hate that they qualify that yeah so, but as a show, it's it's obviously amazing. It's a tremendous achievement, um, and, and 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 you know, so I have nothing bad to say about it. But I think what Twin Peaks does is is sort of just go into this new frontier that I haven't seen before in television. Um, episode eight goes is is an art house, you know, it's 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 art house cinema at at, at peak performance by you know one of the great masters. So in a lot of ways. I'm not trying to diss on the leftovers. I'm just saying, as much as I'm saying that, I think Twin Peaks has sort of risen to this, you know, to this level that we haven't seen a season of television 
hit before. And I'm not. I'm I'm pretty much on the same wavelength as you because my number one is Leftovers, but my number two is Twin Peaks. So I don't want to. I don't want to besmirch anything that Twin Peaks has done either. It's it's very much a matter of me where when I look at like when I had to qualify the one and two and I had to you know pick the ranking for for the list that we're putting out and and talking to people etc cetera, etc. Cetera, it's very much looking at it like I feel like Twin Peaks is such an impressive formal accomplishment in that it evokes a very specific emotion and creates this, uh, I mean, never-before-seen surreality on television. Like, it, it, it creates this dreamlike world that you just sit in and you don't really have to understand what's going on at all points to really appreciate it. And at the same time, there is a narrative there that's really strong. But for me, what The Leftovers does is it brings in a lot of those elements and, and creates an emotional impact that, that resonates a little bit more with me personally, and that's maybe the only thing that I'd, I'd put over the edge. So, like, the formal accomplishments of Twin Peaks stand on their own, and then kind of the, the combination of elements that evoke this really powerful, unique, challenging emotion and intellectual experience for the leftovers, that's that's kind of where this, like, tiny little separation pops in for me. Where, Liz, are you, where, how do you fall on this? The left. The, the Handmaid's Tale is a really good show, you guys. Handmaid's <laughs> <laughs> Tale's on my list. Yeah, I think I, yeah. Reed, Reed Morano does a great job on that show. Elizabeth Ma. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's a great show. Yeah, no, it's is it, that number one? That's on, that is my personal number one for the year, and it's actually like when we when we in, when Team Indie Wire met to create our top ten of the year list. My proposed initial top three, um, which I did not win, was <laughs> The Leftovers at number one, Handmaid's Tale number two, and Twin Peaks at number three. So you still you give the Edge to leftovers over twin. Well, it was more like I knew who who was in that fight, and also like I mean, it, it came down to and I and this is actually kind of a sad part of that conversation because you were talking about like not trying to denigrate one show at the expense to to celebrate another, but when you we got down into the nitty gritty of it, it was like you know which show had more flaws, and uh, the leftovers is a hard show to find flaws in. Like right. you just can't do it. It's it's kind of perfectly executed. Yeah. Are you about to tell me that Twin Peaks has flaws? I'm not going to say that. Because I Twin have Peaks. a response for that. If you're going to, if you're going to go down that road, <laughs> here's here's okay. I want to ask this. I, I don't want to say that the ranking, these rankings, these, these determinations should have anything to do with entertainment value. But I am curious for you how that factors into your appreciation of Twin Peaks. Like, do you find it to be an entertaining show? And should it be like that? It doesn't have to be an entertaining show. I'm just curious about that element. Well, I, for me personally, the makeup of what you know, the the, the whatever the the all the pieces that go into me enjoying a show, mm-hmm. you know, entertainment is a piece of that, but it is by not by no means the number one priority for me. It's it's um, and and there are a lot of shows like I would say with Handmaid's Tale. That was hard for me to mm-hmm. find entertaining. <laughs> I mean, it's not like a fun, you know, a, you know, it hour is not a of romp. no, no. Um, but it is so beautifully made, mm-hmm. and um, it's the same thing that I feel about Better Call Saul. I don't know how much, again, thrilling uh, fun I'm having while watching that show, but um, I'm so impressed by the craft and by the performances and by the storytelling, and so moved by a lot of the moments that it makes it all worth it for me. Twin Peaks, the weird thing about Twin Peaks is, all I, all I know is this, every Sunday night I needed to watch, that was the f- before Game of Thrones even, and I'm a huge right. Game of Thrones fan, I needed to watch Twin Peaks. Um, and I think Leftovers overlap by a week or two, and I, did it? 
I think. Like, yeah, it had like in the early going. Uh, yeah, because it was, right it was like the, start the finale. Of Twin Peaks and the end of the Leftovers. And I, did your sister got married? It was, no, it wasn't your. There was something. My sister got married on the Twin Peaks finale. No, the Twin Peaks so finale. So I, I missed the Twin Peaks finale because I was at my sister's wedding and I had to watch that's it important. the next day. So that's is what it is. But what, um, but there was something. Wasn't there something about the Leftovers finale? Mm, I mean. We I missed some things for it, but yeah. testing and I, my memory. I also had idea. a crazy yeah. schedule, so I probably was a little behind on top. But I know that I, I, the Twin Peaks experience was, I just never knew from week to week. When I turned that thing on, I didn't know what, what can I swear on this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know what the fuck was going to happen, right? And that's a, that's the most exciting feeling for me in a way that where, where I, it, not only was I um, just waiting to be surprised, but at the same time going to be intrigued going to get something that will just hit me in a, in a way that kind of answers things that I didn't know about the, uh, the mystery of the show, and but then propel me in a unique and different way. Um, so when you, so that to me, it, the exhilaration to me, that I would call that entertainment. Mm-hmm. Vanderpump Rules I also watch, <laughs> and I find that immensely entertaining in a very different way because Vanderpump Rules I can watch and, and look at my phone at the same right. time. But there's Twin Peaks that I want to just be absorbed and be taken on a ride, you know. Well, I want to I want to hear your answer to this other part of the criticism out there because like I've got my own response for it. We debated it when we did our top yeah. ten list. But one of the big things that comes up when you talk about Twin Peaks or when you talk about the return specifically is the length. Like a lot of people say, there's a lot of extra space in there. Like that they kind of built it out, and there's moments where you know the guy is sweeping the floor for five minutes and you're just watching him do it, and that kind of pads in these eighteen hours. And I'm curious kind of how you feel about that criticism. I and think, the, I, again, I don't support it. I'm just, that's the common one that gets I think out there. The, I think the sort of, um, the, the one aspect of filmmaking that is a very tricky thing to get a handle on is tone. Mm-hmm. And tone comes from a, all these little bits and pieces that you put together and how the performances are um, and how you, sh- you compose um, and, and pacing. Um, and I think David, when you're, and, 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 you know, when you see a director who's a master of tone, you, it's like, he's one of those guys, like if you turn on a movie that, and it's a Hitchcock movie and you don't, but you're in the middle of the movie, you know, it's a Hitchcock movie. It's the same Wes Anderson, clear as day. You turn on one of those, but you know, it's a Wes Anderson movie. And I think David Lynch is one of those guys. Right. And part of his DNA in his filmmaking is this deliberate methodical pace to everything and this sort of stretching moments out there's uh, there's a lot of air you know you don't cut from line to line you there's air after the line before the line and um i think that just adds to that surreal quality of the tone so do you actually gain anything by having the guy sweep the floor for 10 minutes maybe not but in the overall scheme of things it added to that kind of tone that that i'm talking about that really you can't define and I, I think again because he does it so well i'm i'm in a hundred percent i hadn't thought about like you know when those you know like when you when because you, when you're nitpicking this stuff you don't think about what it like like the, the the guy sleeping the floor for five minutes like you don't think I, I hadn't thought about the fact that it does contribute to the overall tone like i i feel like maybe maybe my i'm looking at it too insularly or too uh, too you know specifically, but I I feel like the thing the thing that really sticks with me is those is the musical numbers like or the the music videos or the let's just put a camera on the nine inch nails and let them play a song like right. in the middle of an episode right which I. I, like, well, usually it was at the end of the episode. Like, usually. usually. But, but yeah. she's talking about episode yeah. eight where it did yeah. happen in the middle. Yes. Yeah. 
And I mean, and maybe that's him playing with our expectations of, okay, great, the Nine Inch Nails are playing. Now that, that means the episode's over. Oh, wait, I guess not. I mean, and that is something he establishes the cinematic language of the show from the beginning. That being said, I I still really struggle with it. And I don't, I, I just, I'm I'm curious what you guys think of it. Because I feel like it's an element that people don't talk a lot about. It's just like, oh yeah, and then there's, and then, and then a person sings a nice song for a little while. <laughs> Do you want to take this one? Uh, no, by all means, sir. I, I, I'm here's curious what, here, to what you say. Here's what I will say. I think, you know how, I, I mean, you guys are writers. Yeah. Um, you know how sometimes you'll just be writing whatever and you don't know why you're writing it. You're in a place and, and you're like, I don't know. I, I, I think I need to go in this direction now, even though I'm going off on this tangent and it's not making sense. Maybe it will come back around or whatever. Um, sometimes then you'll go back later and you'll be like, wow, I went on this weird tangent. It mm-hmm. does feel right, but it doesn't add up to the whole thing. So I'm going to cut it out. Right. David Lynch doesn't cut it out. <laughs> David Lynch says, I have this feeling, I'm going to go, it feels right, and I'm going to go towards it, and if it doesn't ever come back around, then it doesn't ever come back around. That doesn't mean, I don't mean that to say that he he then abandons his narrative logic or the story he's trying to tell, because I think there's always an internal logic to the to the show that keeps, and the, and the, and the show is tethered to that. Um, and um, and so he doesn't like go away from that, but he never he never needs to stick to a format. He never feels the need to have everything make sense or have everything kind of hit a certain rhythm. I think he just goes to where he feels like the moment should take him. And um, and again, I think that contributes to like the overall tone. Yeah, I think it's I think the the music element of it is a, an actual pretty crucial part of of evoking that specific tone because like you're saying. Um, when you're watching those episodes, a lot of the time, you know, your brain could be overworking or you could be trying to figure out what's coming next to the narrative or you could be trying to get ahead of things or you could, you're, you could be trying to do a lot of different stuff. And I think that those moments are meant to kind of steer you in the right emotional headspace. Like it's supposed to bring you around to where Lynch is at, just like a lot of the rest of the show is made to bring you around to where Lynch is at. And what I liked about when they ended episodes with those musical numbers was to me it gave me kind of a perspective and a a beat to appreciate what just happened. Like it gave me some time to be like, okay, so I'm going to kind of think back over what I just saw Mm. and bring it all together in this moment where like the music is going to surround me and I don't have to necessarily pay attention to the specific lyrics or, or look for visual cues. It's more just like, okay, so this is the song and the and the emotion and the tone they want to bring out right now while I think about what just happened. So like his choices for those was always really interesting to me. Like I loved it when when Bobby came out and started singing, you know, right. music. Like that was just it, those things were interesting because then all of a sudden he's looking into the crowd and you're like, wait, is this a narrative component? Like, is there something going on? Like, is there more than just music? And then it kind of broke from that and kind of didn't. So I, I liked when he tested that because, again, it's like, you know, you're in a dream and you don't get to control the dream. So you have to kind of just trust right. where he's going to take you in that spectrum. And it's it's yeah. it's usually pretty fun. And I, I always go back to the – Liz has heard me talk about this far too many times, but kind of uh, – training people to watch TV differently because a lot of people, and this is the another hard part for me when I'm judging The Leftovers against Twin Peaks, like The Leftovers is so specifically written to it, like to exact little things. Every little thing adds up to something within that episode. They're so tightly constructed that it's essentially like a perfect season of TV. Like right. there's nothing wasted right. in that season. And, the, and that's completely different than the style of Twin Peaks. Right. So it's hard to compare those two things. 
And I think it's hard for some viewers to watch Twin Peaks when you're literally being asked to not do anything else. It's like you're going to a movie, but you have to recreate that experience in your house. Because if you start texting or if you get distracted, you're like, well, it breaks the spell. Floor. Exactly. Yeah, it breaks yeah, yeah. the spell. And yeah. that's hard for some people to buy into. But and I, I, think, I think that's very important. And I think, and I honestly, I think when I talk to people who aren't fans of Twin Peaks or who are like, look, dude, I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck yeah. is happening right now. I'm done. I'm out. Like, um, I think that's what happens. I yeah. think they're not watching it correctly and even that sounds weird like yeah, it I don't, sounds I don't, pretentious and it, it sounds like one yeah, of those things where you're but, like talking down to somebody but it's like exactly that's, it, you do have to invest in it the right way like it, you it, do it, and it you, ask something of you it. have to turn everything else off you have to watch it and and that's what i would say i would say if that happens i guarantee you you will it's the the show is hypnotic it will yeah. get you under its spell it will get inside your brain you'll start yeah. dreaming about it and you'll want to watch every episode um, and but the minute you start picking up your phone and you start looking at other things, coming back to it, yeah, things are going to start to feel random. Yeah. Why is Trent Reznor singing a song right now? <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 it won't work. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's also worth noting that I was very happy that we were out here in Los Angeles for Twin Peaks because then I could watch it well before I went to bed. Twin Peaks at night is never a good idea. Yeah, not no. not a good idea. Um, I, I, I want to go back to what you're saying about the musical numbers having happening at the end because it, it does remind me of it does remind me of like the reason why I always sit through the credits in movies. Have you, do you guys ever have, have you guys ever done yoga? Uh, I do not. Okay, I've done it once or twice, but not not. Well, I think what it reminds me of is um, in, in when you in yoga, like the he does yoga. He does TM. Uh, David Lynch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he does. He does. He does. Yeah, meditation. Well, the oh, reason I guess I go okay. That's no, different. but it's a similar thing. But the reason I want to mention yoga is one of the things that you know you it's an, it can be kind of really intense. Like you're really physically engaged with it. The last thing you always do in yoga is shavasana, which is uh, essentially a dead man's pose. Literally, the last thing you do in yoga is you lay down. And on your back, hands and arms to your side, um, and you do nothing for like a couple of minutes. And it's meant to be kind of this opportunity for you to like kind of re-engage with your body, re-engage with the world, kind of like pull yourself out of that experience. And I so I can definitely see like it, in in that context, having David Lynch, a practitioner, a protect, practitioner of transcendental meditation, I can just understand why he would put literally build that into right. his TV show, yeah. um, oh, which is a, kind of a really cool way of thinking about it. So you've given me a reason to like Twin Peaks. <laughs> hey, that's just what we're, the, no, just, just that's what one. we're here for. <laughs> um, but I want to talk a little bit because we were we were talking a little bit before we start recording about the very silly kerfuffle over whether or not Twin Peaks is a movie or TV show. But since we are talking about TV shows, I want to talk about the, con the the fact that The Leftovers isn't just really great television, but a really great example of episodic television right. that's really well structured around like we are doing this is this episode is this person's story and other people's stories will be involved, but we're really going to make it character focused and we're going to really devote every episode to it. Because I think that's a really smart way of coming at the show. And I'm also going to say it's something The Handmaid's Tale does really well as well, especially um, in later installments. And Ben and I disagree strongly about one of those episodes. But uh, I, th I think, are you talking about the one about her missing her, her missing, yeah. 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 I think that episode is essential and I really enjoyed it. Um, Hard pass. Ben did not care for it. Um, I would I'd actually kind of go with Ben on this one. I'm not I, 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 I agree that it was essential, though. Yeah. I think that information was yeah. essential. I think yes. the knowledge within that episode was essential. I don't think 
devoting the entire episode to him was essential. Oh, I no, then I will, then I disagree with that. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't mind. I love when episodes break format. I mean, obviously <laughs> we do that a lot in Mr. Robot, but yeah. um, I just I the the way that episode specifically was executed. I didn't like. I I really wanted a a, a juicier story, especially given the fact that. We really, literally, have not seen this guy for mm-hmm. the entire season, and so I thought there'd be more to tell, and it didn't feel like it lived up. Uh, and maybe that's kind of actually the same. Well, yeah, note, it's, which it's, is it's like, more about like we didn't need we didn't need as much time there. Like like if, like if what you're saying, the, if, if they had a the only bigger, story, thicker, stronger sure. story throughout, then yeah, it's, it'd be worth justifying that breakaway episode. But to me, it's like well, they they probably could have conveyed that in a lot. Shorter amount of time. Well, I think there's there's so much more going on in that episode, though. It's really about because I think, and the reason I feel like it's an essential episode is that it, it, it if this was a mini series, like 100, you don't need that show that that episode. If it's but this is an ongoing series, they have a massive world they're trying to create, a massive alternate universe, and that that episode contains so many interesting details and so many great like tone moments that really communicate so much about what's happened to the world that we're in. And I feel like, I mean, we're talking about like shows that hypnotize you and dra- drag you into their world. I mean, this is one of the things that people find that people find really hard to watch about The Handmaid's Tale, but I think is one of the things that kept me like obsessed with it, which is I love getting drawn into a world like that, that's yeah. like outside of ours. And I mean, both Twin Peaks and- And slightly love- outside of ours. It's yeah. not, I mean, it's definitely, Obviously dystopic, and I don't. I guess slightly in the future. I don't even right. know if they address that, but it's almost. Like, but the eerie thing is, is oh, I could see this happening. I could. I mean, it's like a kissing cousin to our reality. Yeah. No, and you I think know. that's in. But like all the de- like the thing is, it's so detail rich, and every like every opportunity they have, like talking about not wasting time, like every opportunity they have to create like nuance to the world is so is so wonderful like uh the episode uh a woman's place they have there's all this stuff with the mexican trade delegation coming in and you find out they're the the carbon footprint of the of the society is much better than you know our current world like they're and they're eating they're eating organic and like you know there's it's it you know they in some maybe that maybe gilead isn't so bad and like you know of course it's the worst right but like um you know the fact that the fact that they're there's such a depth to what they're putting on screen and there's so much going on even slightly beyond what we know is happening. And the fact that they're really invested in communicating that and building that out, like that's, that is why I got so hooked into it. I agree. I mean, the world building on The Handmaid's Tale is kind of off the charts. Like they really do, and they slowly kind of peel it away. And because if I, I feel like if they gave you too much information at any time, you'd get overwhelmed and you'd be like, okay, I'm yeah. watching like some sci-fi show. But the fact that they slowly kind of do it and they just drop in little details and it's always on sort of the edges of the frame, right? Because mm-hmm. you're hearing about this thing in in Mexico or this thing out here, and then you don't quite know what they're talking about. And then in the next episode, they'll, they'll further go into it. The way they dole it out is really good. But having said that, the episode you're talking about, it's like if that was going to be like the IV shot mm-hmm. to like, whoa, we're going to completely shift points of view and really give you a different dimension of what of of, of the world and like now more of an outsider thing. What does Canada think about this, et cetera? It, it just, for me, and, I, and I'm not gonna speak for Ben, but the adrenaline shot wasn't enough. Like okay. it, it, it needed a little bit more. 
That's fair. I mean, I think also as a... By the way, I'm being nitpicky because it's a no. great fucking show. Right, you know, yeah. This is, and this is it's the, like this, <laughs> this is one thing. of the best shows on TV right yeah, now. So, sure. um, And it's also difficult to talk about these things like Liz mentioned when like some of these episodes and some of the information that's coming out in this first season are essential to building something that we haven't seen yet. Right. Whereas with Twin Peaks, it's something that's fairly self-contained or at least has an ending that, that could be the ending for the entire series. And obviously the leftovers ended, but... Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where you it's it's hard for me to be like, well, if in season two every element of that episode kind of proves itself as absolutely essential, and I want to go back and revisit it and watch it again, maybe that improves what it was in season one. But I'm not going to bet on that when I'm judging it right now. Like when I'm saying how it what it did for me in this moment and what it served and how well like they kind of told that story and, and how much information was there. Do you believe uh, Carrie Coon's story in the season finale? Uh, yeah, absolutely, I do. That's a bold question. Liz? I know, it's like... I, you it's know like what? Personal, I, I've isn't never it? had. I've never been asked it. Ben never. Ben and I never discussed That's it. That's weird. No, everybody has to know. Like when you when you heard her, what did you think? I wanted to believe her. You want? Wow, that sounds skeptical. I no. I want. It's. I feel like it's it's such a beautiful and sad story in the season finale, the series finale, and I want to believe it. I think I do believe it. But I, I've, I've, I, like I said, I've, I've been thinking about it for the last six months, but I haven't really thought, I haven't really came up, come up with my own answer. Well, also, her, her Twitter bio is I'll never tell, which is just beautiful. So, uh, but it, that's <laughs> the, the point. Like, we're all, we're all supposed to come up with our own answers. So yeah. What I, did yeah, you? No, I, 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 be- I believed her. And, and the, but the great thing, the, the great thing about it is because as she was telling the story, I was, I don't know what you guys were doing, but I was picturing it. Oh, yeah. And I was imagining it. And, I just remember thinking, please don't cut, please don't show, please don't show, (laughs) please, please, please. And the fact that I wanted that, I mean, because I think you, typically it's the opposite. Oh, you're going to tell me this thing? Like, fucking just show it to me. (laughs) I want to see the thing. And I didn't want them to, to show it to me. And I just... that That is like the... I mean, honestly, that's like Lindelof peak, because like that's... um, you making me want to imagine what what you're telling me like making me making me want to uh like in an interactive way engage like i no, i I don't give me everything just give me a piece of it and i'll i'll take it from here um that's that's what he did in lost by the way i mean literally every at the end of every episode i'd go online and want to imagine the, what the Dharma and the history and the backstory and I come up with my own theories. It makes me a story. It turns me into a storyteller just by watching it. Yeah, yeah and, the, and the, the, it's something they did throughout season three, which is what I really, really admired because it is something that kind of instinctually violates a basic rule of storytelling where you're supposed to show, show and not the, tell. And, which, by and, the way, it just proves to show every screenwriting rule is fucking stupid. <laughs> exactly, yeah. No writers <laughs> out there should You have to, to be able to think through it enough to understand what the people will be experiencing in the moment and why it's important to do that. And, you know, before we get back to the finale moment where she's telling that story, there's obviously her in, in episode two where she's talking about what happened to her when she broke her arm. There's the story when, uh, you know, Scott Glenn is listening to this woman after he arrives at the house and she's telling him right. this crazy story about how she found him. And, like, there's so many scenes in the third season where they use that that storytelling device where you're kind of listening to someone else tell a story instead of watching it firsthand. And what was interesting about the finale was I remember I was talking to Lindelof after the finale aired and it was still really fresh in my mind and I was trying to ask questions where it wouldn't be tell me what you think, like tell me what Nora really happened to Nora. 
Um, but I was trying to get questions in, and I, I can't remember what I asked, but I asked something that, like, if you took it three steps down the road, would have somehow, like, if you'd answered it, it would have somehow led back to what she, what he believed her to do. But what was funny was when um, apparently they had the first screening of it at uh, in New York for, mm-hmm. uh, like, an Emmy screening. And Matt Zoller-Seitz, you know, the, the great writer who's had a lot of personal connections with the show and, and lots of conversations with Lindelof, one of his questions as soon as it was over was, why didn't you show the scene that she's talking about? Why didn't you show Carrie Coon go back to the other side and, and all this stuff? And Lindelof was so taken aback by the question because that disavowed the option that she might be lying. Like, it, 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 if they would have shown those scenes, then it would have been seen as truth. Like, it would have been something where there's not really an option for the other side to say, well, no, she's just full of shit. So it was. It's it's such an interesting debate to have, and I love reading the crazy theories. Well, not crazy, very sound theories that she's lying. I just I you are so trained to be in that moment with Kevin, with Justin Theroux's character, and you want to believe her because he wants to believe her, right. and he does believe her. So like that's where you as an audience member are supposed to be. So it's a lot easier to come down on that side, I think. But it's also just for me a much more satisfactory ending that way. Like, it, it helps me. And it lets you, lets it, uh, it gives it to you. Like, the show gives over to you. It's now mine. My, I have I have my ending, you have yours. Yeah. Liz has hers. Yeah. Anyway, and, and there's just some, I mean, that's that's so great that you can have that personal thing with it, that it becomes a part of your own, you know, your involvement in it becomes a part of the show that you remember. Because I'll remember that. I'll remember yeah. watching that scene in a very deep, I remember where I was, where I was sitting, where, that's how I feel about episode eight of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Uh, when that blew me away, like I completely remember, um, I, I, I just completely remember being so involved in my own thoughts, like kind of firing off along with the, along with watching it. And that's, I think that's just really powerful. Not a lot of shows do that. Mm-hmm. And you could argue Twin Peaks has that, it, it's a different kind of ending. It invites a lot of questions and it invites a lot of theories, but it, it has an ending where People have different interpretations of what happened. I wanted to. I want to go back to something you mentioned, uh, just very offhand. That you know, the question of like, should Twin Peaks come back? And you were like, I hope so. Yes. Um, so you. So you're you're pro the idea that this should not. The story is not over. This well, not, let, this let, me, let me let me say, I want whatever David Lynch wants. If right. David Lynch doesn't have a story, I don't I don't want it to come back. I right. certainly mm-hmm. don't want this to be handed, Twin Peaks to be handed, you know, David Lynch is, can't do it, doesn't want to do it, and mm-hmm. Showtime decides, you know, Mr. Showrunner X, who is <laughs> a big Twin Peaks fan, to take it over. I don't want that to happen. Um, but if David Lynch, ha- you know, he has something more to say in this world, I'm down. I want to hear it. I want to see it. Don't you want to see what Chuck Lorre's interpretation of Twin Peaks is? I, I, okay. I, yeah. so, that is, uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> the sitcom version of Twin Peaks, I would happily sit down and watch. But two and a half peaks. Two and a half peaks. Guys, I think we're on to something. Yeah, I think this is going to work. Put us in a room. (laughs) I think we should call David Nevins. (laughs) He's listening, let's be honest. He'll he'll call us. Mr. Nevins, please (laughs) hear our plea. Two and a half peaks. Two and a half peaks. I I feel like, actually, there was something, I I forgot, I think it was maybe Brian Lowry who wrote wrote, wrote about, like, like you know, Twin Pe- why Twin Peaks was a success, even though like you know people were looking at the ratings numbers and not being thrilled. And one of the things he mentioned that I found really fascinating was the idea that Twin Peaks, in some sense, was a loss leader for Showtime. In that, basically, by saying letting David Lynch do whatever the hell he wanted, 
on his terms for whatever length of time he, he had, basically established Showtime as a place where, hey, famous creator who really wants to make their version of their show, we will let you do that. Um, here's the proof. We gave Twin Pe- we gave uh, David Lynch 18 hours for Twin Peaks. Um, what, you think it's like a bait and switch thing, though? Like, no, it's not it's a bait. I don't think it's a bait and switch. I think they would genuinely commit to doing that. But uh, I feel like they're, they're, but, but they're, but Twin Peaks was an opportunity for them to establish a reputation for being almost like similar to how Netflix got got a whole bunch of new creators in right. by by virtue of basically saying we're a wonderful place for creators. Right, right. Um but I don't know. I mean, it, what what do you think about that, Ben? Oh, I think it's I think it's a nice idea. I think it's one of those things that it's it's tough to gauge in our marketplace right now because you see stuff at Netflix where, you know, we don't really we don't know the ratings. We don't know how many people watched, but you know, the rumors swirl around the get down just being too expensive, and that's one of the reasons it didn't go on beyond season 2 or it was because you know, Baz Luhrmann wasn't going to come back as showrunner, so then they were like, well, we're, we don't want to do it without Baz Luhrmann, and that's respect to the creator, and that's good. Um, but I, I, I don't know, like, the Showtime model is so interesting to me right now because a lot of their shows still feel the same. Like, a lot of their shows still um, kind of, they, they feel like there's a lot of connective tissue there, which is good for them to keep building a brand that way. And I'm really excited about Smilf. I really, really like Smilf is amazing. Smilf. Yeah. Have you, have you guys been watching it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, it's so good. It's I mean, good. yeah, I'm a little biased. Right. And, it, and Shameless is obviously a very strong show. Yeah. Um, yep. and, and they're they're really building out, like, good stuff. But it's, it's interesting because I don't feel like there's another comparable director out there that they could go snag or bring in or a creator that they'd, they'd grab and trust with that kind of responsibility. I, I don't know, but, I mean, I'd be excited if they did start doing that. I'd be excited if they started making headway in that in that. Regard. God, remember when Darren Aronofsky was maybe going to make TV shows for HBO? Yeah. That was... What was he going to... I had no idea. He was, like, developing a... Oh, God, he was developing... uh, I think he was developing... uh, Margaret Atwood has a series of novels um, that are basically set in the not-too-distant future. Um, Genetic... They're largely about genetic manipulation and very... very, And he was going to do that? He was going to do that. And it was basically, like, a post-apocalyptic thing. Wow. And, Yeah. yeah, that would have been bonkers. Uh, I think that just kind of was one of those amazing ideas that just never happened. But yeah, right. It's also crazy to see kind of the offers that go out out there and, and whether or not Showtime can compete with something like, I mean, what was the what was the first Apple show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon? Oh, where they just, they ordered... About the morning news. Yeah. 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 And they ordered two seasons of it off the bat and the, the, the budget is just outrageous to the point where no one else could match it. Like, they can just outspend them. Right. And it's like... And but then do you, got, you do you guys find that you like... A certain networks shows more than other networks. And do you? I, 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 and I'm thinking about it, and like I, I don't know what the tally is, but I feel I, I don't half the time I don't even know what the show, what network the show is on. Which is, I yeah. don't what network presidents don't want to hear. But <laughs> no, um, that's that's very much true. how most people I think watch TV. Yeah, so, yeah. Think, like, they just want to know how they can find it. Yeah, they just want to know how they can watch it. Yeah. But at the same time, like I feel like what hap- what happens to us a lot is we'll make like our top ten of the year or like one of our mid year lists or just any sort of list really, and we'll go through and then after the fact after we picked all the shows we'll be going through and looking at what networks and we do tend to favor, uh, I think the network we like like as a mean like we tend to favor above all else tends to be FX. And I think that's just, really? I think, it, and it speaks to, I kind of th- like, but the thing with FX though, and this is A, a testament to the network and also B, why it doesn't have a strong identifiable brand is there's, I, I actually had a friend go into it. I think I've said this on this podcast before. I had a friend go into a development meeting with uh, somebody at FX and they, you know, they asked, you know, 
what's an FX show? And the answer was, there's no such thing. And because they're very creator driven and they really want like personal voices and personal stories. And, it right. is, and if you look back at every FX show that's ever happened for the most part, with the exception of like Ryan Murphy, which is just Ryan Murphy gonna Ryan Murphy, like so many, especially their comedy, so many of them are really centered around like somebody's personal experience, even like failed ones, not failed, but canceled ones like that only made it one season or two. Like there was that one with like Sterling K. Brown that was about like, you know, about like a disordered eating with, with like anorexia mm. and binge eating and all that. Yeah. Um, it, yes, I think it was called Starved. Um, early, early role for uh, Sterling K. Brown, but uh, he, but uh, didn't it didn't last. But it was based on that a male creator's personal experience with those issues. Um, so, anyways, that's I feel like, and I think that's just because of our tastes in general. Like we tend to lean in that direction to some degree. Well, I think it's just hard to. I think it's harder for us to look at it without looking at the networks because we kind of know the people now and have listened to them. Like mm-hmm. if if you listen to John Landgraf talk at all, you're going to be interested in what this guy wants to put on TV because he thinks about it right. so intricately. And you're like, okay, well, it's exciting to kind of watch that process unfold. So you you think a little bit more about like this being an FX show because you've drawn those attachments. But I, I agree with you in the sense that there's there's every network out there. Whether it's you know, I mean, it, it could be anything. Like any anybody out there has just needs that breakout show, and all of yeah. a sudden they've they've changed their brand. Hi there, very good TV podcast listeners. Uh, this is Liz. Uh, really sad to report, we had a bit of a technical snafu with uh, recording this episode, but we didn't want you to miss a single minute as more than the necessary of Sam Asmel speaking with me and Ben. So we've managed to record the end of our conversation. There, you've only missed a few minutes. Uh, we go from talking about uh, rebranding networks to uh, procedurals and what the appeal of them is, because Sam Asmel does not understand, and uh, he makes me explain. Apologies for the change in audio quality. Please continue listening as the conversation only gets more fun from here. Like it's it's a character thing, really. Like, and I think a lot of t- great TV has always been really character driven. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, when in those days when I would be like, you know, in my Law and Order days when I would just watch Law and Order on the hour, every hour, um, which not every hour, but uh, on those days, like I would watch like USA. The first, yeah, yeah. Bless it. Uh, but I would <laughs> uh, I would watch it. I would watch like the first five minutes, like so you get the crime done, and then the credits would start, and then I'd be like wait, no Sam Waterston, screw this. And I would turn it off. Like, cause I would, I didn't, Michael Moriarty is the worst. I'm sorry. I don't even know what you're saying. I don't understand, right? I think this is a big point of it too. Like a lot of the procedurals succeed strictly because there's that one person or two people that people just like. Yeah. Right. I mean, Bull took off on CBS because people just like Michael Weatherly. They, right. they got to know him and they didn't I, want to watch anything he's in. I'm, I actually now just realized I did watch House a lot because I love yeah. Laurie. And how? And so I, here, here it is. Like I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. And House Although, was although I will say this, as I was watching House, I was like, God, this is such a great character. I wish they just didn't do this procedural thing that yeah. they that they yeah. do. I need to. I, I did the same thing where I was like, I want to trim this down and just get to the serialized bits, and then I'll watch like a whole season in in you know I two mean, hours. Like, it got just, to the point. You know, how, did, we guys, did you, did yeah. you ever watch us? So at the end of every episode, there's some montage to some really bad song. Of, I don't know where they get these songs. And then it just like checks in with everybody. And I literally knew when the minute I started hearing the first chords of that song, <laughs> I just 
deleted it off my DVR and just yeah. wait for next week's episode. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to interject that, or just a little bit ago that I feel like House was actually a pretty innovative procedural. Like, and they did a lot of fun stuff. Like the like there's that whole half season where they're literally recasting the right. show right. as they're going. Right. And like those actors were all told. We're seriously considering all of you for series regular roles. Like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And it was, it was, and that, I, I, I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, they switched it up a lot because not they, they didn't keep the same cast members. I mean, they they swapped out cast members. Yeah. A, a great deal, and, and he he changes a lot. He doesn't. He's not the same house year in and year out. Maybe the first few uh, seasons felt the same, but then he kind of like broke out and got. They when did. they got into his addiction and all of that. I yeah, there's like that, that two-parter at the beginning of one season where uh, he goes, he's in rehab. Yeah. Um, in, which includes, by the way, a notable performance by then relatively unknown Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh, oh wow. I did not um, know that. At the end of that episode, he and House rap. Wow. I am not making this up. Wow, I've forgotten this part of House. <laughs> I do not remember this. They, there's like a talent remember. show at the rehab center, and like uh, House and House and uh, Lyndon Mall have to rap together. Yeah. yeah, I think it's also like season. Or, I don't know. If, I guess shows kind of do this now, but they, they used to. Like I was a big fan of Dexter, uh-huh. and they used to do there was seasonal procedural, mm-hmm. where it was every season was the new. In, yeah, in Dexter's case, it was the new serial killer that he had to go toe to toe with, right? Yeah, or the new whatever, and then and then like by the end of that season, you knew it was going to be done and over with and resolved, and then we'll start all over again in the next season, and then and then throughout he would also kill people, right? So yeah. that was kind of another like a procedural. Yeah, procedural. he'd get stuck or he'd be hiding his secrets or deciding to expose himself to certain right. people and others, and yeah. But weirdly, I think bringing back kind of went out oh, done away with all that I feel like I don't I don't I mean you guys are the experts because you watch a lot more TV than I do but like do we do do TV shows like on the cable channels at least do they still do that where they do like these seasonal procedural things or do they kind of do this one story across several seasons idea like the way Breaking Bad does or Leftovers you know yeah I think it's more serialized uh, in general and then like the, Handmaid's the stuff turns into anthology series more than right. anything else. Like yeah, exactly. Talent instead of keeping the one guy and giving him a, like an arc over a season and then an arc. Like this, I mean, it's a it's a fine line I think between like those kind of things. But the anthology has just gotten so popular. Well, but then the trend with anthology is if it does well. Yeah. Then, then, we're, then, we're, then it's a series. Yeah, I think it's not. <laughs> Little Lies is not a series, but it, it, it's that a series. Is a series. Yeah, I mean, uh, it kind of harkens back to uh, the glory days of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, which was it, the kind of the what what they kind of refer to as the big bad season construct, uh, big right. bad of the season. Like so, every season in Buffy, you by the first by not the first episode necessarily, but like by the a couple of episodes into the season, you were aware, oh, there's some massive evil that needs to get taken care of. And they flipped the script on that a lot. But usually it was like very like, you know, each season had one focus. Right. Um, and, you know, it handled that really well. And I feel like right now what we're hearing is the case of the seasons probably is like probably most alive in anthologies. Like, I feel like what they're talking about with the sinner, um, because they're still, they haven't greenlit a second season of that yet. But what they're talking about is the idea that it would be just be like Bill Pullman investigates another case. But you know, ABC tried that with their show Secrets and Lies, which was Juliet Lewis solves another case every season, and it never really played. There's another show too that uh, 
that also like tried the you know we're just every season we're going to solve a case and but it's the same character is that, is that like what you're the, the same character like same same set. oh d- damages did this uh, a lot well, this, yeah it was like, yeah it was, it was yeah it was the same characters Rose Byrne Glenn mm-hmm. Close and then they would solve a case every season I'm just saying like I don't I can't think I mean again you guys are the experts I can't think of shows that are currently doing that I feel like. I get I I attribute it to Breaking Bad, which slightly did the Big Bad mm-hmm. every season, but kind of not. Um, stuck to like, well, we're going to tell this one story across several seasons, and I feel like, you know, I, you know, it's influence it's influenced that like model of storytelling that I, you know I, that now I feel like I got a Handmaid's Tale, obviously Twin Peaks. I don't know if it's going to span across seasons. I know leftovers. No. It feels like we're no, we're going on this one trajectory, and there's maybe resets, and clearly leftovers has a reset every season, but it's still one story. There isn't like okay, this season we're gonna explore religion. Yeah, yeah. this season we're gonna, explore, you know, it's like no, we're exploring everything, and we're just gonna dig deeper every season, and we're and you know we'll have these slight recalculations, but. Ultimately, we're heading in the same direction. Yeah, there's seasonal arcs, but they're not dictated by like one predominant theme or yeah. one predominant or, or, objective. Or it's not so obviously mechanical in the yeah. plot plotty way. And right. I think yeah. that's that's what I'm responding to. The comfort I mean, element has been removed. Yeah, exactly. Like even Game of Thrones isn't like that. No, I guess Game of Thrones was that before Breaking. It doesn't matter. But like Game of Thrones is like no one story where. Yeah. We're driving towards it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, I, I think a lot of that is due to the Netflix model more than anything else because people are much eager, much more eager to keep watching something. Like, they just, they're eager to, like, binge it and just let it go. And if something's built up over the course of three seasons, they're excited to just watch it all play out. And they're they're not as worried about, like, something resetting or, or giving us one seasonal arcs or anything like that. They're just like, no, I want to watch this this long story play out in real time or in as it as it happens and just be happy with that like just be distracted and, and engaged throughout instead of you know worrying about oh well season one just ended and season two has started it's a different thing like they just want it to keep going right well you know you know what it could be too I don't know if the in, is the incentive anymore to be on air for as long as possible because I think that's the reason why you had that model. It's like, okay, well, if, if it's a new thing every season, we can just go on for however long you know people mm-hmm. watch the show. Now I think creators, and I know I did with Mr. Robot, that no, I have a kind of an ending in mind, and I'm not trying to do this for 12 years. Like, right. I, I want to end this. Um, I want to end this, and, and, and in the right way, you know? And I'm sure Damon could have probably gone a couple more seasons if he wanted to and chose to end it uh, I mean I don't know but yeah no he's he's a big proponent of short seasons and that's that's a huge factor of, of kind of again like going back to the to the network thing like a lot of networks like HBO like Showtime like Netflix in some regard are are happy to let shows end like that they they know that they want this creator in house and they want to keep them happy and keep them coming back and telling new stories and that's exciting and that works and then others have a business model where they're like, no, 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 if it's successful, we're going to, you know, run this thing into the ground. Like, right. We're going to take but, it. But showrunners, it, 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 it's strange because, like, it doesn't feel like that's the incentive anymore, at least at least with the people I talk I mean, look at right. look at Benioff and Weiss. Like, yeah. the, they are crazy to end it right now. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> fucking crazy. I mean, it is, like, massively still the most successful show. Yeah. Probably in this, you know, it's it, definitely in HBO's history. And they're ending it. I mean, that, I mean... That's probably as crazy as when Seinfeld ended, and 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 I remember being—I mean, at the time, that was like 
you know, um, that was like jaw dropping. Mm -hmm. um, but think about that. That's th that. If that dynamic shifts, if that changes, then I think we're we're not only going to get more interesting storytelling, but we're going to get more of it. And that's probably why I think that contributes to this whole peak TV thing. Yeah. Again, I'm not trying to be. Uh, I'm just like in the trenches. I don't. Uh, you guys are observing this a lot. No, no, no. That's, no you're, that's you're, a great perspective. I mean, honestly, and by the way, for the record, I, I'm very impressed by how up you are on TV because. Uh, I know. Well, I, I try and watch something before I go to sleep every night. I usually fall asleep during it. Um, <laughs> Same. <laughs> but but um, I try and get I try and get one episode of something a night, and um, I'm still pretty behind. Like if we're gonna do our. What yeah, yeah we're going to do best thing, next thing? Yeah, but I'm the, my list is very anemic, so I'll, I'll just leave it at that later. <laughs> I, I'll try, I, I, you guys watch a lot more than me, so. Well, um, I don't. I have a lot. Uh, yeah, anyway, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, best, so what were we starting with? Start best? with the best thing, yeah. The best thing. Yeah, yeah. The best thing I saw this week, right? Is that, or yeah. last week. Yeah. 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 In recent memory. In recent I mean, memory. It's hard for so, me to Sometimes, sometimes there is cheating. Give, yeah. me, give me a hint again on what came out. Mm, I mean, The Crown came out. Um, what did you personally watch last night? Yeah, what did you watch last night? What did I watch last night? I watched Inglorious Bastards. Th oh. That doesn't really count. It, it is, I, in I, fact, I, a movie film. <laughs> or is it a TV show? <laughs> it's a pilot. We, like, we're not trying to decide. I would watch Inglorious Bastards a TV show. Well, uh, <laughs> again, now Nevins is listening. and. <laughs> Um, wait a minute. Okay, what came out recently on the, I know you've told me that I gotta see She's Gotta Have It. That's oh, yeah. on my that list. I haven't started it yet. Um, so it's probably on my, on my next list. Um, what's next list? But, I don't remember what else has been out because I just get, we get so distracted by the stuff that's literally just hitting because we're reviewing that. So like Happy came out on Sci-Fi, which was I pretty good. Seen that, yeah. Um, Did you get the chance to see Godless? Yeah, Godless came out that's on Netflix. On, see, yeah, that's yeah. on my list of um, things to see. I can't, I can't, I can't, um... I mean, was there, was, I'm, I'm curious just from, from, like, how excited you were about Twin Peaks. Do you remember kind of what you watched when Twin Peaks was over? Like, the TV show where you were oh, like, your come down. how do I, like, follow this up and move on? Like, it was, it was, it was, it was around the time that we wrapped, so I think there was, like, just, like, a lot of transitional things going on in That's my good. life. And That's it was like good. Best. It was good to, like, time it out, so I got through the shoot. I came home from New York, I came to LA, and I just was like, let me just watch Vanderpump Rules. Like, <laughs> by the way, maybe that's what it is, the best thing, the premiere of Vanderpump Rules. There you go. They're, they're firing all cylinders. <laughs> yes, our digital, our digital director is a huge Vanderpump Rules fan. God, if you guys haven't watched it, let me tell you. I drive by, I drive by <laughs> the restaurant every the day. It's, so. it's great. Um, okay, that's my pick, you guys go. That's good. Um, let's see. Uh, beyond the season three finale of Mr. Robot, uh, which was very, very good. Thank you very much for making Thank it you. a good television show. Thank you. Um, Always better to watch those. <laughs> <laughs> it is far preferable. Um, I've already been talking a lot about Black Mirror. Uh, I, I'm trying to think. Uh, Trying to think. Mm, uh, so ben, easy. what was the best thing? Yeah, I did. Well, yeah, you, I know. You no. watched the Brooklyn Nine Nine this week, didn't you? Oh yeah, Brooklyn Nine Nine was fantastic. Uh, they're doing a big storyline with uh, uh, Stephanie Beatrice's character. I got to talk to Dan Gore about it a little bit, and uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine continues to be a really lovely little show. Um, hit 100 episodes and it's going into syndication on TBS. So congratulations <laughs> to all involved. Wow. Yes. Yeah, that'll make that money for a while. Yeah, that's good. Make that paper. 
Um, I'm also going to pick a, a broadcast sitcom. I really enjoyed this week's Fresh Off the Boat. Um, they wow. they continue to really tie in um, their time period really well. So, like, as a, it's weird. It's still weird for me to watch a '90s like period show because it feels like the 90s are very much alive for me um but uh or they're, or they're not long enough ago to be right done in a period thing but I'm um, but no they, they had this whole episode was kind of built around the idea of of watching titanic and like titanic had just come out in the theater oh and, fresh off the boat is set in the 90s yeah that's, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's literally ba- it's because it's based on eddie wong's book um, but yeah, sorry. No, yeah, that's that's it's it's in the '90s, so the whole family is going through a lot of things, and there's there's very specific stuff they bring up that that was clearly important to these characters, or uh, you know, like Eddie when he was a kid, or whatever it was. But there's also big general stuff, and, and with the big general stuff, they did a Melrose Place homage at one point, which was really really that's good. Um, but they they've they tied in like a Christmas episode to the Titanic release to like all these things, and it, it's just one of those shows that. Consistently is is very good for me. Like it, they, it's very sharp writing, and uh, Constance Wu and Randall Park are terrific. So it's just that's one I'd, I'd Man, recommend. I'm, I'm fin- I think I'm going to check this out. Yes, I did. Great. Just like I convinced you, the leftovers was the best show. <laughs> <laughs> that, that Great job, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, if I guess if you have to pick one from the next list, like well, I have a bunch. There's one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, do I do I have to pick? No, one? No, no, no. List them all out. Yeah. Okay. Black Mirror. I'm very jealous of Liz. It's so good. <laughs> Some of uh, it is so good. Versa- the Versace show, which yeah. I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by. Um, Godless, which you guys have seen, right? Ben has seen all of it. I've seen only a little bit. I How is it? Is it good? Uh, I like Do it you, a lot. Yeah, I was. I, was I should, like, I should yeah. keep, keep it yeah. on my list. Yeah, keep it on the list. I feel like the, the biggest thing I've heard, and this is how going to be very much part of how I approach it, is um, I was really excited for the concept of a really female-driven Western, and it is more male-oriented, apparently, yeah. than it is than advertised. It is, it is definitely more male-oriented than, than advertised, and yet there are some really cathartic, wonderful moments of like women shooting horrible people, so that's great. That is good. I like that. So you got Godless on your list. The Deuce, which I have seen the pilot of, and I love, yeah. right. and for whatever reason never went back to it, I don't know why, but I want to dedicate my Christmas break finishing that up. I assume you guys ag- confer- I, yeah, agree. I love, love The Deuce, yeah. I'll be curious, too, if, like, kind of how you like watching it in terms of, like, a binge, like, going through it, or if you need to break it up, because I've heard, like, everybody I talk to has a different way they like to watch The Deuce. And you watched it weekly, right? No, I watched, they gave it to us all at once, and I ended up... The whole season? I was was sick one day when I had the screeners, so I ended up watching about five hours of it, because I just got sucked in and couldn't stop. That's the thing, I got sucked in with that pilot, and and it was, like, something like 90 minutes, Oh yeah, yeah. it flew by for me, and I just loved that world, I loved all the people. Yeah, Michelle McLaren did a great job with that. Yeah. Yeah. I like it when Maggie Gyllenhaal gets to make movies. What's that? Oh, it's, oh, oh shit! Liz. Jesus. Boys, Liz? God, <laughs> the worst. God, God damn so it! Fun. Well, I guess I can't watch that show. Now. Push it to the bottom of the list. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Sorry, David Simon. Oh my God! I, I, I'll, I'll stand in the corner later. <laughs> Wait, and American Vandal? You guys? Oh approve? yeah. Oh yeah. American Vandal's lovely. That. Yeah. That, and I love. Um, I would Very say true. the Keepers. Did you guys see the Keepers? I saw a little bit of it. I saw like the first oh, two episodes. I, I, no, I saw the first two episodes. I, I, I didn't just. I just didn't go back to it. But I was mesmerized by like what they were able to do. Right. Like that show's insane. Yeah. 
And and I love making murder and in the jinx. And so when this came, when the news of this came out that they were going to do a spoof on it, I just kind of was like, eh, I don't, I don't know why you would do that. That's going to just come off sticky. But I keep hearing it's actually really good and yeah. it, it's got some heft to it, like some emotional. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And there's if you like those shows, you're going to find a lot shows. of things to like in terms of what they reference and, and kind of pull on. So yeah. And last but not least, I will give you the obvious. I'm going. I'm so excited to see the last Jedi this weekend. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm a big Ryan Johnson fan, so yes, I'm sure he did a great job. Yeah, it sounds. It sounds. It sounds very exciting. I've Neither been... one of you have seen it. No. Right? No, no, no. No. I've I've confirmed a few rumors. I needed confirmed about it, and then that's that's where I left it. How did you fall in the Force Awakens? Uh, I liked it a lot. I thought it was very enjoyable. Um, I recognized the comparisons to the to the original movie, and I'm honestly just kind of fine with it. So. Do you care, Liz? I I loved it. I mean, I'm a huge Star Wars, you know, sucker. Like, I'll just sign up for everything. Okay, great. Uh, so yeah, it was great. Did you like? Did you were you a fan, or would you? I thought the f- Force Away. I just wish it like it felt like it was beat for beat a remake of New Hope, yeah. and I didn't understand why they needed to do that. Um, but I love, you know, I love all the, the Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley, and um, I just, I just wish that they had, they'd mixed it, you know, that they went. It was a little more its own thing. Yeah, that, that was my only thing. I felt like it put a lot of pressure on this movie because, to me, the way they introduced characters that way made it fine. Like, made it like, okay, I, I wanted to get to know these characters, and they did it in a way that was right. very effective. And now I'm very excited to see all the people I didn't know about before I saw The Force Awakens in this movie, but now it's kind of the onus is on this movie to make it pay off, like to make everything work in a weird way. Yeah, like and to I, be the Empire Strikes Back of the... And it's like, right. let's see how it goes. But I hope, they, I hope they're not doing another beat for beat no, no, of course of not. Empire not, Strikes right. Back. But to be where the, Yoda the, is yeah. Mark Hamill. Like, yeah, I, I mean, and I worry yeah. about that because yeah. it feels yeah. like that's what it is. Like... <laughs> And I hope not. Yeah, well, they did. Not. They did do that photo where Daisy Ridley had Mark Hamill on her back. I know, and which I, is, is, I mean, is they're is not being subtle co- about co- this. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't just just based on based on the few movies like of Ryan's that I really adore. I just don't know if he could do it. Like, yeah, I, I don't. Think I don't so. think he could do. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he could let himself do yeah. that. Yeah. So. Yeah, but good list. Yeah, okay. very good list. Um, I think you covered it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like. You, but what about you guys? You guys have to do it. Well, there's one that you forgot that I think that everybody in this room is very excited about. And What's I wanted that? to point out that we're only, I mean, I think three weeks to the day away from new X-Files episodes coming out. So Can I'm, I tell you something, guys? Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes, tell us. I'm not an X-Files fan. Oh, oh wow. All right, now, are you I'll done? tell you why. Yeah, let's hear it. And it goes, it harkens back to something I said earlier. I just don't like procedurals. Yep, fair I enough. I just don't like procedurals. I get bored of them really quickly. I watched a few episodes of X-Files when, when I was in college or whatever, and then after two or three, I'm like, I'm good. I get it. Yep. He thinks aliens are out there, and she doesn't. And <laughs> they're going to argue about this for hours every year, and I don't... They're literally going to argue about 22 episodes it for nine seasons. <laughs> and with no end in sight where they're just going to keep arguing about it for... Quite a while, but, but you guys are both huge X Files. I'm a pretty big fan. Liz is a legitimate, like huge X Files. I'm a huge X Files fan, with the caveat that board yeah, we've got, we got the board. Um, oh, look the, at that! I can confirm Liz is an X Files geek. Yes, um, <laughs> I mean I'm, a, I'm an X Files geek, but I'm an X Files geek who also has strong opinions about various things it does really well versus not so well. So <laughs> yeah. I tried watching the the new thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, I wouldn't recommend that. There's a not good if you didn't, television there. Not if you didn't like the 
the right. original yeah. stuff. I yeah. would not recommend the new. I feel one. like I feel like the X Files is a great example of a procedural where uh, it, it's it's the nuances and the changes and the the things that the procedural lets them do the procedural format lets them right. do that make it really shine. Right. Like I like. You know the fact that they've done they did some really groundbreaking stuff during the '90s is really you know is 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 one of the reasons why I tuned in. But yeah, that's happened in three weeks. Yeah, I just I, I feel like I mean part of it is I am legitimately excited, and there's a few other things we've already talked about like Black Mirror is coming yeah. in, whatever. But there's not a lot between now and then, so I right. I also feel like I need to remind Liz so she can prepare herself because right. it's it's a big deal. It's an it's a it's like you know I, I imagine it's a lot like you getting ready for Star Wars it's yeah. that thing where something yeah. beloved from your childhood you, you, you are more excited for Star Wars right I'm more confident in Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I am excited for Exile so I'm excited to see what is, they do is, 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 uh, is Chris Carter is that the oh, show oh yeah is, and he's doing these they've, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, I, they haven't confirmed exactly who's writing what when and directing what when but he's probably very likely directing and writing the first episode I should say this so when we did the the episode this season where it was all in one, one take yes. a lot of people brought, I think you actually I, I did them. bring it up um, and I, I did end up watching it after after we had shot the episode um, and I loved it. Um, it it was an episode of X-Files uh, I think it was about the Bermuda Triangle yeah and um, and it was a wonder, but because they had act breaks, it was like a wonder for every act. Right. Yeah. So it allowed them to go from uh, the Coveney story on a boat, on a weird mm-hmm. boat somewhere, and um, and Jillian Anderson's story at back at the FBI. So yeah. I, I thought it was, yeah. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. No, it's it, and I feel like it would be interesting to look back at how they made it because I don't think because they're working with '90s technology right. at that point, they don't yeah. have the same yeah, yeah yeah same same advantages. Um, yeah. But Liz, what are you looking forward to next? Well, that. Um, I'm <laughs> well, also, I also wanted to shout out for uh, the Doctor Who Christmas special, which is going to give us our first glimpse of the 13th Doctor, played by Jodie Whittaker, which should be really fun. Uh, I'm excited to see how the new team takes over the show, um, and especially given that as much as I love Peter Capaldi, I kind of fell off it um, in its most recent run. So uh, you'll be able to read all about that and more on IndieWire.com where you'll find news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like. And make sure to listen to all our wonderful podcasts, including the Turn It On podcast with Michael Schneider, uh, the Screen Talk podcast with Ann Thompson and Eric Cohn, and of course the great Chris O'Fault with the Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. Yes, and uh, we'll be so sad to see you go, Sam. It's been such a pleasure to have you with us. Please bring me back. Absolutely. Standing invite. Anytime Standing invite. Anytime, anytime you're just in the building, you're like, I should, you just come I'll back, just come down, in. and shoot, yeah. we'll, we'll shoot, we'll shoot the shit for a couple of minutes. I want to yell at Ben or Liz for why <laughs> that show that they think is the best show. It's it is great, but it's not the best. Well, I, I'm saying it's wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's it's not, it's not, We've got that on the record. We'll, <laughs> we'll write it down. If we yes, it's not that we're. It's not that we're. It's not that we're. You know, our opinions are incorrect. They're just wrong. Right. Flat right. right. Objectively. Yeah. yeah. Objectively. <laughs> You need to print a retraction. <laughs> yes, but yeah, yes, again, it's been such a pleasure. You can be found on Twitter at Sam Esmail. Yep. And everyone should be watching Mr. Robot. Yes. Uh, first two seasons are streaming on Amazon, Amazon Prime. Prime. Yeah. And then the third season, I imagine, will arrive there someday. Exactly. And, and, or you can watch it on USA. Right. On the networks or right on iTunes, get it. On iTunes, iTunes, yeah. yeah. Get, get, buy it directly. Get Sam that money. Yes, please. <laughs> um, yeah, you can thank also, you. You can also find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. And you can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and an E. Correct. We will be back next week, but not with Sam. It's very sad. Um, Hopefully, wherever you're listening to this, you're having a wonderful December. And 
As always, keep watching television. Thank you.